0: Hey guys, it's Jason Webb. This is the show that highlights local business leaders and the movers and shakers of Minnesota. Welcome to Minnesota Made. What's up, Minnesota? It's Jason Webb. We have officially leveled up in this podcast business. I am sitting across the table from Senator Eric Pratt. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Eric. And today I have a lovely co-host, Melanie LaRue. How are you doing, Melanie?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
0: Eric, now I got to admit, I'm a little nervous, right? You are the first politician I have ever interviewed on this podcast. So let's just start things off, I guess. What is it that you do As a senator here in Minnesota.
2: Well, let me just start by saying that I'm one of 67 senators and I represent Scott County. So I have the communities of uh, Shakopee, Prior Lake, Jordan and six townships. I represent roughly 80 to 90,000 people. Wow. It's a big responsibility. I currently chair the uh, Jobs and Economic Growth Committee in the Senate. And that's a lot of fun because what I say about the role is we want every Minnesotan to be able to participate in the economy. And so we focus on things like making sure we remove barriers to employment, making sure Minnesota is a great place to invest, leveling the playing field between employers and employees, and then making sure that our workforce has the skills not just necessary for the jobs of today, but for the jobs of tomorrow.
0: Okay, very good. Well, what position is it that you hold again? Can you uh, tell me that title one more time?
2: Sure, I'm the chair of the Jobs and Economic Growth Committee in the Senate.
0: Okay, a Jobs and Economic Growth in the city. Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room. I interview a lot of business owners and a common thread that I hear from these business owners in Minnesota is that we can't find people to work, man. And they're a little confused. They don't know if it's because of the new unemployment law and which allows these unemployed workers to collect an extra, I've heard, three to $600 per week, which is, I guess, opposite of motivating them to come back to work. What's your take on that? Where is the lack of employees really coming from? And is it Minnesota-specific, or is it, are all states kind of saying the same thing?
2: Well, from what I'm hearing, it's, it's going across many, many states, and if not all of them. Certainly, extended unemployment is one where they are getting a $300 top-up Uh, on their unemployment benefits. That runs out the week of September 4th. Mm, So It's uh, coming up. That's coming up. Any word of that being extended? Not that I've heard of. So we're looking forward to that coming to an end. But you have to remember, we had really a, a tough time hiring people before the pandemic and all the government restrictions. We had more openings than we had applicants at the time. And in some ways, I think the pandemic has changed our workforce a little bit. I've had some people tell me they've hired somebody and after about two days they'll quit because it's too hard. Yeah. So I think we have to reinstall that that work ethic again. What I'm kind of interested in and, and what the numbers are showing is that we're seeing people start to build their own businesses.
0: Mm, ah. Yeah. Side hustle and going becoming self-employed.
2: Becoming self employed, right? They got laid off from their job. Maybe they got a a severance package or they're using the extra unemployment benefits to start their own business and something they love. And so that's good. You know, as we talk about wanting to invest in Minnesota, that's a good thing for us. But really, I just want to make sure, you know, there's a lot of people, and and what I hear from employers is they're having a hard time finding qualified employees. Mm -hmm. And that goes to the workforce development side of what we do. So uh, making sure that we're helping people get the skills necessary. Many of the jobs that were lost during this recession caused by the government restrictions uh, aren't coming back. They're not. They're not, I mean, in in many cases, these businesses, when they lock their doors, they put plywood in the windows. Mm. And so we have to, you know, we've been trying to put some money to programs to help many of these employees who have maybe worked in one sector their entire career get new skills so that they can be more marketable in other parts of the economy.
0: Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So that lifetime uh, server or bartender that maybe worked at a restaurant or a bar, that that bar maybe has closed up now due to COVID because they got hammered, Mm -hmm. right? So this lifetime server doesn't have any new marketable skills and you guys are looking to fix that problem.
2: Exactly. I mean, they might have an interest in computer programming. They might have an interest in... Marketing, yeah, you know, I could certainly see a server having some interest in marketing, or they've got a passion somewhere else, and they they just need to to build that skill base in order to move on to it. Whether it's an apprenticeship program, an internship program, maybe taking some classes, we just need to get them ready for their next opportunity.
1: I'd like to think that servers are excellent in marketing, personally.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's coming from do.
1: a former server here.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, you do a great job, Melanie. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Um, you are proof in the pudding. So another common thing that I hear is there seems to be stigma attached to blue collar type workers. Well, there's still these mindset for a lot of kids graduating high school that they need to go to, you know, one of these fancy universities and get their double major in art history or something like that. And then they graduate and there's having a heck of a time finding a job. Can you come up with a plan or a solution to kind of remove that stigma that maybe is still attached to blue-collar workers who, once they complete their education, they're making six figures a year. But for some reason, they don't want to do that.
2: Well, the stigma, especially on the suburbs where I live, is very real. I served 12 years on the Prior Lake Savage School Board before I I joined the Senate. Okay, And uh, I saw that from parents quite a bit. Now, in the role that I have as as the jobs committee chair, I don't deal with higher ed. You know, that's that piece of it is separate. But there's there's a little bit of an overlap, and what we're finding is, as I work with the trade unions, there are opportunities for these blue collar jobs. You can put in a great career, as you said, make six figures, get a great pension at the end of your time. Amen. Uh, and can look back and and when I talk to the tradesmen that I know. They'll drive by, I worked on that building, I worked on that building, I worked on that bridge. They take a lot of pride in their work. And in some ways, I think that stigma is starting to diminish because these are no longer low-skill jobs. I mean, even these jobs require a tremendous amount of skill. I helped a friend of my son's uh, get into a training program to be in in the construction industry. Now he and a buddy are starting their own construction company. Nice. Nice, nice. So there's a lot to learn. These aren't the low-skill jobs anymore. Right.
1: No, definitely
2: not. Yeah, even just to be a good
0: mechanic. There's a ton of stuff to know. Okay, so you and Melanie got a, <laughs> a bit of a history here, it sounds like. <laughs> I didn't really, I wasn't aware of this walking in here, but Eric, your mom was a teacher. And Melanie, you had her as one of yes, your teachers. in
1: sixth grade, Mrs. Pratt. Yeah. Wow. Mrs. Sue Pratt. I had to ask Eric as soon as I got here if, there was any relation, of course. So we have to put a little plug in for your mom out there. <laughs> well, thanks.
2: She'll enjoy that, and I'll send her a link to this. Yeah. So my mom taught in Shakopee the last twenty-five years of her career. She was an elementary school teacher for forty years. Hmm. She started in Iowa, worked in Nebraska, California, Illinois, and then oh, wow. finished up her career in uh, in Minnesota. So
1: how interesting.
2: Okay. And
1: does she still sub or anything like that?
2: No, she's fully retired. Uh, she and Dad. Uh, my dad is a retired banker and real estate, commercial real estate salesman, and uh, uh, he also is a retired National Guard. So they moved down to San Antonio. They uh, like to hang out at Fort Sam Houston. Yeah. Oh. Uh, mom shops in the PX, and Dad golfs the the course about two, three times a week. Nice. And uh, they're they're enjoying retirement, but. As I told Melanie, I I meet a lot of her old students because I I represent the Shakopee area, and and every time I tell my mom I I met one, she remembers each kid and and what they were like as a sixth grader. So I'm oh. looking forward <laughs> to that.
0: Yeah, no offense, Eric. I'm going to forget your name as soon as I walk <laughs> out the door. I am terrible with that stuff. So. It's
1: a teacher thing. I have to make a plug for my mom too. She was a teacher for 40 plus years, and but she's still doing it. She's still. Subbing, subbing and working here, a there, lot. and everywhere. Yep. Yeah. She still works like crazy. So, yeah.
0: So, uh, like your dad, I was in the Army Reserve and Army National Guard, and I went through my combat medic training down at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And so, your dad was in commercial real estate, your mom, teacher, right? And you're like, oh, let me get into politics. <laughs> so, how did all that happen? You know, you know let's start, I guess, back from you know, childhood sometime, graduating high school, and how, how did things develop to where you are today, Mr. Senator?
2: Mr. Sen- well, <laughs> you know, it, I've made some great decisions, but maybe not always for the right reasons. Okay. So I graduated from Prior Lake High School. I had an opportunity to walk on to the University of Iowa football team. Mm. Uh, what position? They had me as a receiver. Okay. And yeah. while I was there, I dislocated my knee. Oh. So they held me out, and I went back in the fall, and I broke my or in the spring, and I broke my wrist. Oh, you're off to a good start there. I'm off to a great start. Yeah, yeah. And the coach came to me and he said, "Look, son, you know you've had a bad break, but we're going to have to cut you in and open this position up for somebody else next year." So I started looking at other programs, and I ended up at the University of Colorado. Okay. Uh, under Coach Bill McCartney. Okay. Uh, and the guy who recruited me ended up being my position coach. I wanted to play defense. He happened to coach the position I wanted to play, and in fact, he just retired. His he was the defensive coordinator at Northwestern when they oh, wow. when won their bowl game.
0: Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. So, did you play safety then down in Colorado?
2: Well, I was an outside linebacker. Oh, really?
0: Wow. And you must have lost a little weight since then.
2: No, oh. I was a little small for my size, and <laughs> and uh, I was I was fast, but uh, I was small, and and quite honestly, I I still remember I was one of twenty four walk ons that went on to the team. And the other 23 had been cut, and I was the last one to meet. We meet with Coach McCartney. He said, son, you're not the fastest, you're not the strongest, and you're by far not the most talented player I got on the field. <laughs> I thought, this is a good Bye. start.
0: <laughs> but, you, but you won't give up, right?
2: Well, that's what he said. You have a great attitude. You do everything we ask. You play hard, a lot of heart. He said, son, I just got one question for you. Why do you want to play football for me? Yeah. And I was I was a shy kid, and I looked down at my feet, and I said, coach, I just really like to hit. Yeah, <laughs> he looked at me, he said, that's the right answer. We'll see you August 15th. And so I made the team and oh, that's got cool. to go to two bowl games. We went to the the oh, uh, wow. Freedom Bowl my junior year and and wrote the Blue Bonnet Bowl in Houston my senior year.
0: Yeah,
2: And the freshmen my senior year were fifth-year seniors when they won the national championship. So I knew a lot of the players that won the oh. national championship. Wow. Good that's memories, cool. huh? Great memories. And you know, I try to go back for a game every year. I'll be going back for the uh, Colorado-Minnesota game. Oh. Minnesota's gonna be in Boulder. Okay. Um, as you can see, I have a photo of Folsom Field on my wall. So
0: that's where you used to play, huh? That's
2: where we used to play. Well God, that is I where they still Boulder. play. Boulder is so beautiful. That so, stadium's
0: huge. How many people does that hold, do you know?
2: When I was there, it held about fifty-five. I think they're up to about sixty-five or seventy thousand now. After they won the national championship, they were able to add on to it.
0: And uh, you played football for like Shakopee or Prior Lake or something. I or? played
2: for Prior Lake. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So going from Prior Lake football field to a stadium <laughs> that holds fifty thousand people—that's kind of a shock to the system, huh? It was
3: awesome,
2: right? <laughs> I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. Amen. <laughs> and I
3: Love still,
2: it. you know, I still keep in contact with a few of my teammates. So it's it's yeah. been a lot of fun. Okay.
1: Yeah, you guys are saying he's small. Just so you know, I'm wearing heels, and this man towers over me. (laughs) So I'm not sure on football positions, but if this is small.
0: (laughs) Well, no, he—he you are tall, Eric. But when I think of middle linebackers, I think of, like, these guys that are as wide as they are tall. You know what I mean? Gotcha. But uh, you're quick and aggressive, I bet right, you like to hit,
2: I do like to hit, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh unfortunately, I had knee surgery right before my senior year, so that that kind of kind of hampered me too, but yeah uh,
0: so uh what did you leave Colorado with as far as your major
2: and your degree? so I majored in economics, okay, and uh I tried to get a double major i wanted I wanted to go into marketing, but mom and dad and the football team said, no, your scholarship's up, and you
0: <laughs> time to work, time, time to make some money.
2: Uh, as as my uh, academic advisor told me, he said uh, it's time for you to to uh, graduate, grow up, and get a job. Oh, oh. Right. so um, st- and
1: here you are now. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely have done that. Yeah.
2: So I um, uh, I started off with a company called uh, ITT Financial Services. I got into into lending
3: mm.
2: in their branch operations, and they were headquartered here in Minneapolis. Mm. And so I was able to uh, go up to their corporate headquarters. Uh, from there, I moved over to First Bank system, uh, which eventually became us bank. Mm. okay. I was in credit scoring and credit risk management with uh, us or with First Bank System. I moved over to Target Financial Services, their financial services arm under Target Corporation had a you know great 11 12 year run there. Mm-hmm. moved back over to u s bank, spent 10 years there in fraud and credit risk management. okay. Left at the end of 2018 and decided I needed a little bit of a break from the corporate world for yeah. myself in the public service. Uh, I was already a senator. I was I was a senator. I was elected senator while I was still at U.S. Bank. Oh. Okay. Um, so I was doing a full-time job as well as as being in the Senate, but uh, I decided I wanted to really spend some time in doing my public service. I call it a sabbatical, but I failed on rest and relaxation. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so here I am.
0: Okay. Well, it's an interesting time to be in politics, to say the least, right? There's a lot going on. I have, I'm 47 years old and I don't even watch the news anymore because it depresses me. But I have never, I guess, took note of a hotter political climate than it is right now, right? With all the things going on. So what are some of the things that you're currently dealing with as a senator from Minnesota, I mean, are there some hot topics on the table right now that you guys are mowing over and, and trying to make some decisions on and
2: voting on here shortly? Well, we just passed our two-year budget, so we're adjourned until January. Okay. In the meantime, there's a few projects that I'm working on. I mentioned workforce development as, as one of the things I'm extremely interested in. And what is it about
0: that, that you that is interesting to you?
2: Well, one, the economics of it is is that, you know, getting people to work, you know, getting the Minnesota economy to be strong and vibrant and really bringing it back up to where it's it's one of the preeminent places to do business again. You know, I think back to when we were kids and, and you think of Minnesota as a technology hub. We had Control Data, Cray Research, Honeywell. Mm. And we still have, you know, we still have some, we still have 3M and Medtronic and, Mm-hmm. And uh, Ecolab, but I'd like to see this become a, a technology innovation hub again.
0: Yeah, Austin, Texas has done a good job of that from what I understand.
2: Austin's done a great job. And so we started a, you know, while I was chair of the, of the jobs committee, we started a program called Launch Minnesota. It's run through the Department of Employment and Economic Development and uh, helping Attract businesses back here or is that... attract, but also to to foster the growth of some of these small innovative businesses to be successful. There's something like 70% of all of all new businesses fail in their first three years. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, providing them the support maybe to be a little bit more successful and, and and improve that rate, but also to make sure that we're not just, you know, I say I don't want to just create jobs, I want to create careers.
3: Mm -hmm. Wonderful.
2: And so attracting those businesses that that will help create careers. And so as part of that, we have a fund called the Workforce Development Fund. It funds, so every county has a workforce development center. I talked about getting those skills that you need. Oftentimes, the first place you'll go is that workforce development center. And then they will send you to the right role Mm -hmm. uh, or the right organization that can help you get the skills you need. Well, we want to rethink how we do that because we do give grants to a lot of of uh, nonprofits that, that help support that as well. And, and so rethinking, reimagining, rather than just a bunch of senators and representatives saying, okay, I like this program. I like this program. Put a little more thought behind it where we have employers and, and workforce development specialists that look at the skills that we need today, but what are the skills that we're going to need as, as this economy moves forward? I'll give you a great example. Uh, One of my old bosses, is uh, on the board of a major pharmaceutical. They opened up a facility in Massachusetts. Mm. And I asked him, I said, well, why Massachusetts? I mean, that's a high-tech state like Minnesota. I thought you would have gone to Texas or Florida or mm-hmm. someplace like that. He said, they have the workforce we need. They have this clean room manufacturing program out there, and they have a lot of these people that know how to do that. Mm. Gotcha. We don't have that in Minnesota. So I started talking with Senator David Thomasoni on the higher ed committee to see if we could somehow work together and we're still working through it. But I'd like to develop that clean room manufacturing certification so we can start attracting some of these jobs to to Minnesota. Because again, they're paying in six figure in the six figure range as well.
0: Okay, so I learned best by examples. Uh, Let's say uh, I used to be a server all my life. COVID, shut down the restaurant I used to work at, that job is no longer available for me. Therefore, I'm un- unemployed. I'm collecting unemployment benefits from the state of Minnesota. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm just going to you know, hope for the best. And in the meantime, collect this unemployment check as long as I can. So a solution to that could be I would go to my local county, see what's available, see what's interesting to me. And they would say, oh, We got this great new clean room facility that would allow you to work in the technology sector. And this is what it would be required of you uh, as far as the training and the certification. And either that training is paid for or subsidized somehow through the state of Minnesota. Exactly.
2: Cool. That's exactly it. Because we do pay for some of the some of the tuition and that could be run through Minnesota state and the and the technical college system that they oversee, there's a lot of opportunity there, and we have these technical colleges throughout the state. In fact, we used to have that certification and Minnesota State dropped it, which is why I went to uh, Senator Thomasoni and the higher ed committee to see if we could reconstitute it
0: okay now, I always feel also money talks, so I don't know are you trying to attract or make Minnesota more attractive for Employers to open businesses or keep businesses here. And then I think of, well, what would keep a business here? You know, again, some types of uh, tax breaks or subsidize some type of training for their employees would probably be attractive, like your friend out in Massachusetts, right? Mm -hmm. Is that correct?
2: So, as part of this this last jobs bill that we put together in funding in funding this the state budget, we have what's called the Main Street revitalization program, and it's really into two parts. Uh, the first part is geared towards existing small businesses, okay. and you know many we we ran two small business grant programs. One in June, we put sixty million. Uh, we had another one in December that was about two hundred fifteen million. And was this a response to COVID then? This was a response to COVID and, okay. and the governor yep. basically putting restrictions on businesses that killed their cash flow.
0: Yeah. yeah, we have to come back to that,
2: your thought on that. And so, again, we, we wanted to help these businesses trying to survive this you know this downturn. In this last budget, we put another $70 million into a grant program. So small businesses can apply for between 10000 and 25000 based on the number of employees they have.
0: What's some of the criteria that you guys are considering for acceptance into the grant?
1: And this is outside of the PPP loan, correct? Correct.
2: This is outside of the PPP loan. And these grants are, are, you apply for them, they're done on a lottery basis. Um, Mm -hmm. Basically, you just have to be in good standing with the Department of Revenue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so let's say you're a business that's struggled to make your sales tax receipts. Okay. But you're working with the Department of Revenue, you're still in good standing.
0: Okay. okay. You yep. know,
2: so we recognize some of that. But really, there's not a lot of criteria. As long as you haven't received a grant in the past, you can receive, you know, you're eligible for a grant now. We want to make sure the businesses that haven't received support aid are first in line to receive this next, this next batch. The second piece we have is $80 million targeted to capital projects. Um, so this could be attracting someone to come into town to build a a new manufacturing plant. Um. It could could go for someone to open up, build a new daycare facility. Hmm. Some of it is likely to go to Minneapolis to help recover from the riots. You know, anything capital related that will help rebuild the economic base of our communities. And they're a mixture of uh, grants. So we allow uh, grants to be given out up to... $750,000. $750,000. Wow. But they, but they have to have a two for one match, which means you have to have $2 of local contribution for every dollar of state money that goes into it. Okay. So we want to make sure that local communities have some skin in the game as well. Right. Oh, okay. And then the second piece is you can pair that up with a guaranteed loan program, which should give low affordable interest rates. Yeah. But allow banks to know that if the loan's right off, the state will cover 80% of the loss. We don't want anybody to go bad, right. and so we're working with local community groups to make sure that 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 focus on economic development put together a package of loans and grants that that makes sense for you know any given project. Okay.
1: So if a business wants to explore that within their community first, where would you recommend them going?
2: So I would start with so all, both programs are going to be run through the Department of Employment and Economic Development. Okay. So I they're not approved yet. They're approved and signed into law. Now we're just getting them ramped up. And so okay. details on how to apply for those programs should be coming within days, Wonderful I would news. think.
0: Okay. So to recap, i try to recap what you just said. If I am a business owner thinking of starting a business, okay, I'm not a business owner yet, or maybe I'm out of state. Thinking of opening a business in Minnesota, there is money available. Going to be money available to help me out, maybe in the second application process, I assume, and they have to be in good standing, i have to pay my mm-hmm. taxes and that type of thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So I apply, and I could get up to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars as a grant. Did you? Is that what you said?
2: Provided you have two for one, two match, for one, yeah, and and the state can't be more than thirty percent of any project.
0: Okay. All right. So there's grants available, and if that money isn't enough, there is I could maybe take out a loan that is guaranteed by the state at a lower percent interest rate and maybe some later underwriting guidelines. Is that fair to say?
2: Well, it's it's one program, but it's a mix of grants and loans together. Okay. Oh. Okay. And so you know, there's no cap on the loan. Well, they're trying to remember the cap on the loans. I think it's two hundred and fifty. No, it's more than that. I think it's million dollars in loans or two million in loans is the max okay uh, that you can get but what we want to do is we want to provide flexibility on on the financing of these projects as yeah. long as they're capital projects yeah and that's the key yes. they have to be capital projects that and you have to demonstrate and that's where the local economic development organizations come in to show that it's going to increase the tax base increase the economic activity within that uh, community so when you think of you know when i talk about barriers to employment trying to remove those barriers to employment One of the top barriers that I hear is child care. People need a a quality place, especially in greater Minnesota. Mm. We just don't have enough available child care for people to be able to go to work. Sure. So one of the economic developments might be able to provide a child care center so that someone can go work at the meatpacking plant or the manufacturing plant.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, not for the guy who wants to put up a bunch of mini storage buildings.
2: Not for the guy that wants to put up a lot of mini storage buildings, but <laughs> let's say, you know, you might it might be used as an incentive to bring a manufacturer into a greater Minnesota community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now that we've got the, dig, you know, now that, that we're going to a digital economy, you know, Minnesotans just aren't a- competing with the guy across town. They're competing with the guy across the ocean. Right. And right. so I'm also happy to say we've got $70 million in the budget, part state, part federal money. Uh, to help expand broadband, uh, high-speed broadband throughout the state. Okay. So that uh, Minnesota businesses can compete on a global basis.
0: Okay. You
2: know, I liken it to the interstate highway system projects of the 1950s and 60s. Yeah. Oh. Right? And how that helped commerce flow. Sure. The internet and broadband is is now the new the 21st century version of that interstate highway system project.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I live out in Buffalo, Minnesota. And even out there, I mean, if you go a little further west, like where I grew up in Annandale, my parents, I mean, they still complain about the internet service or the availability of it out there. They're kind of handicapped in a way, Uh you know? Well, that's interesting. I think those are all great ideas and it definitely capitalizes on your background in economics and your prior positions at U.S. Bank and Target and so on. So I think you're a great man for that job to lead that up. So what else is on the docket do you see coming down the road or what are some of the more, one or two more of the recent things that you would like to talk about that our listeners might find of interest, I guess?
1: May I ask a question on that? Sure. Sure. What are your feelings on next year's medical cannabis
2: legalization?
1: <laughs> I know that was on the docket recently.
2: Well, I've always supported medical cannabis and 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 making it available. I mean, some of the some of the stories that I've seen locally or even here at the Capitol are amazing. Mm. As yes. as far as what you know, what can be done and in, in controlling seizures or for cancer patients to get over their nausea so that they can have an appetite, it's you know it's it's just amazing you mentioned i I went to school in boulder and and yes. uh, cannabis is uh, <laughs> yeah. quite 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 prevalent there yes. I'll just say that and yes. uh, I remember one uh, four twenty I remember the weatherman saying it's going to be sunny in Denver, but it'll be very hazy in Boulder. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of pot smokers <laughs> down there. That's for sure. But uh, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of on the fence as far as uh, you know, just the recreational use. There's the libertarian side of me that says you know, uh, adults should be able to have access to you know some of that stuff. I mean, yeah. it's not right. a lot different than alcohol. But right. I am concerned with you know the fact that our our kids have it, and will will it be easier for our kids to get? As I talk to my friends out in Colorado, they'll tell me that, you know, car accidents are up. Uh, People will think they're driving down the Boulder Turnpike. Instead of going 70, they're going uh, 17. (laughs) They think they're going fast. I immediately
1: thought of Cheech and Chong.
2: (laughs) And there's just no test to really tell if somebody is uh, Under under the influence because it stays in your system for so long. Oh, I have another friend, he uh, uh, runs a a division of Cargill out in Denver, and they're having a hard time finding people because current laws of employment, you know, for truck drivers or or crane operators, they have to be drug free. And so they'll do a follicle test and they tell people just stay off the stuff for 90 days and they can't do it. Yeah, And right. so they're having a hard time hiring. And that's a new barrier of employment that they're facing that we don't have yet. Interesting. Yeah, I've
0: heard the same thing. I deal on the insurance side of things when I'm not doing podcasts. And one of the prospects I recently spoke to, I asked her if she's doing a, a has a drug-free workplace. And so she can capitalize on getting a 5% discount on her work comp policy. And she's like, well, we used to. But if we kept doing that, nobody would be working here anymore. We can't find people that are drug-free long enough to employ here. You know, it's, it's a real problem.
2: Yeah. Well, and certainly society's moving towards, rec- you know, the acceptance of recreational marijuana. I'm sure we're going to get there. Yeah. We didn't have Sunday liquor sales for 80 years. <laughs> uh, and We passed that a few <laughs> years ago. So yeah. uh, it's, it's time is coming. It's just a matter of when's the right time to get it, to right. get it passed and, and make sure we have the right controls around it.
1: Well, thankfully, next year, medically, people will be able to partake and cure their issues that
2: way. Yeah. Well, that was, you know, actually, we, we passed that bill, I want to say, in 2014. Really? It was the first medical, oh, mar- the, yes. medical marijuana piece. Yes. And we expanded next it year, this year. year, smokable. Yeah. I yeah. think
1: is what they...
0: The flowers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about our governor and shutting down businesses while other states like South Dakota... We're like, well, you guys can keep going. What's your take on that and how that was handled in our state compared to other states and the impact that it's
2: had overall on the state of Minnesota?
1: Continuing
2: impact. Well, it absolutely is a continuing impact. and. And for your listeners, this is probably the political part of the section. So if you're if you agree <laughs> with me, you can keep listening. And if yeah, not, this if you're is on the left
1: right. side, you might want to turn tune out a little.
0: Well, you know, in regarding that, this is my take on that. I interview a lot of business owners, right? And a lot of them in the construction and manufacturing industry. I interview mover and shakers; these uh, type A personalities. And my guess is, of those people I interview, and therefore the people that listen to this. I would think most of them are Republican. My best guess is 90 plus percent of the people I've interviewed are on the right. But I don't know. Would you agree with that, Melanie?
1: Yes. Even uh, just so you know, I have to make my own statement here. I am in the middle. I am one of the very rare breeds. You brought up libertarian. That is the closest thing to what I personally believe in. But yes, I have to say it's right, 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 red, 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 red.
2: Well, in order to get anything done in the state, you have to find bipartisan solutions. You know, I've had Governor Dayton and Governor Walls. I've had a Republican house to work with. I've had a Democratic house to work with. My first 4 years in the Senate I was in the minority. Right. So, I've had to I've had to work on a bipartisan basis.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, with that, I what I try to do is I I try to find the middle of the road. Mm. And when the governor first shut things down, one It was probably the right thing to do for a short period of time. That first two Uh, week, quote unquote, pause, right? Fear of the unknown. Got
0: to flatten the curve. They shut it down for a couple weeks.
2: So you know, we 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 took that first two week, that first two week, and and my first reaction was, he did it without any consultation of the legislature, Mm. and that that set me off right off the bat
0: yeah so he just made that decision on his own
2: he made that decision on his own where i would have liked him to get some get, feedback get yeah, some yeah. feedback update us a little bit you know update us more than an hour before the announcement goes out okay. did other governors handle that way or or not some have and some haven't some have worked okay. with their legislatures more and and you know whether you're talking about governor whitmer and in, in michigan or governor cuomo in in um uh new york i yeah. think our governor Newsom in California, I think our governor took a little bit more of that true uh, executive power.
1: Right. Forgot um, about the democratic process.
2: <laughs> so uh, he and I have had some conversations about that on jobs related issues. But, you know, back in in uh, April, late March and early April, Senator Gazelka, or, or the majority leader in the Senate, pulled together a bipartisan group of senators to look at various aspects of COVID. We talked about transportation, education, health care. And I led a I led a discussion on jobs, mm-hmm. and it was after that discussion I realized that we really do have a middle ground here. We don't have to keep businesses shut down. I worked with restaurant and boutique owners in Prior Lake and Shakopee, and came up with the concept of a safe shopping zone. They would you know do some extra cleaning. They would you know their employees were to wear masks. They'd ask their patrons to wear masks. Mm-hmm. No, we we couldn't do that.
1: Right, I remember uh,
2: that. It actually, and they ended up implementing those those recommendations six weeks after we first talked about them, okay. which was frustrating for me because that was an extra six weeks that our small the, business owners they could have been running. Exactly.
1: And they were frustrated as well. Plug to uh, Bill's Toggery and Shockpeak, Billy Wormiscursion, <laughs> I remember your pain last summer. And sounds like somebody was pulling for you though through the whole thing.
2: You know, we had a, a manufacturer in Red Wing he wasn't allowed to be open, even though he wasn't customer-facing and he wasn't, he could space his employees six feet apart. He wasn't allowed to be open. Landscapers at the time and golf courses at that time weren't open, even though, you know, you could make accommodations for the landscapers, right? I mean, they weren't really close to customers. They were working yeah. outside. yeah. And and those were the things that I started pushing for, pushing right. the commissioner at, at Deed and, and pushing the governor to open up a little bit more, and let's be more. Let's be more realistic. Let's understand the plight of the business owner more yeah. uh, than we are. And um, again, you know, as we went through last summer, and and infection rates were down, and, and and deaths were down, we we continued to amp up the restrictions. That's when we put in the mask mandate. That's when we kept restaurants and bars at fifty percent, even though the numbers really didn't support that level. Yeah, uh, and that's where I think this really became highly politicized. Mm.
1: Yes, it became very separated one Um, versus the other. mm
2: -hmm. And then in November, we had the spike. We knew the spike was coming. I I met with the Shakopee Chamber. I did a a similar podcast with the Shakopee Chamber in April of 2020. And I said, we know a spike is coming in the fall. I hope we're ready for it so we don't have to shut businesses down. And what do we do? We shut businesses down. Mm. So from that aspect, it was frustrating. I've not agreed with the governor. Uh, on his take, when you look at Wisconsin, they've had more cases and fewer deaths. I yep. mean, you know, they like to talk about, you know, comparing us to Iowa or South Dakota or North Dakota. They don't have the populations we do. They don't have the urban centers that we do. Mm. Uh, Wisconsin, I think, is the best
0: uh, comparable
2: for us. And, you know, I would take, you know, again, they, they while they had more cases, and you can point that yeah. they've had fewer business failures and they had fewer deaths.
0: Interesting and they handled it completely different. They
2: did handle it completely different. And you know, a little a little bit different in that their, you know, their state laws and constitutions are written different than Minnesota so that the courts overrode their governor and his some of his actions versus the court supporting governor walls here in in Minnesota.
0: So do you feel like it is political? It seems like the blue states handled it one way, red states handled it another.
2: I often talk about my role in the le- well first of all I talk <laughs> about my role in the legislature in two in two veins. One I don't get a chance to tell anybody what to do. Mm -hmm. There are 201 of us here, uh, (laughs) 67 senators and 134 representatives, and we all have election certificates. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
2: I have to influence without authority as best I can. Mm -hmm. But what I've also come to realize is that oftentimes when you look at the Republican versus Democrat point of view, we have some of the same goals. We just have different ways of getting to them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that was the, that was what I was trying to navigate. Unfortunately, the emergency powers kind of circumvented that that dialogue and compromise that we would normally have.
1: So, what was the justification for when you brought your facts to the table, and it still took six weeks? What was the justification for waiting that six weeks?
2: Well, one of the justifications, oddly enough, was back in in uh, April when we suggested. Patrons and, and employees wear masks. We were told masks aren't effective, and <laughs> and just a, a couple of months later, we had a mask mandate.
0: Yeah, and they uh, recommended to wear two masks,
2: and then they recommend. <laughs> <laughs> so, just
1: try walking through an airport really fast with a bunch of masks on your face. It's nearly impossible.
2: So, you know, it's it's. I think it's. I think Democrats were just quite honestly, authentically more afraid of this virus than Republicans were. I mean, and... because they're more fragile. <laughs> oh,
3: jeez. <laughs> oh,
2: jeez. And, you know, I there's, you know, the Democrats would talk about uh, making sure everybody's safe and Republicans were talking about taking ownership for their own health and their own responsibilities. So if I got sick, it was on me,
3: right? Mm, right. Mm. And, Which and I goes- took that
2: responsibility. And so... When I say we, you know, we both wanted to control the spread of the virus. We both wanted to keep the death count low. Mm-hmm. Um, we had different ways of going about it. And I think even that perspective just changed how we looked at it. It wasn't that Republicans were denying the science in any way. Right. We just looked at the science differently and, and, and drew different conclusions from it. And, yeah. I, and it all goes from the way... You, the lens you view the world from.
1: I think experience has a lot to do with it too, because if you are sitting in your house and all you're doing, a, your only experience with, I don't know, everybody outside and with COVID, you're only going to take in what the media is telling you or you know your immediate surroundings, the people within your immediate circle. I had to take a job last year. They called me a essential worker where I was a business analyst and I traveled all over the country. New York to California. And I got to see firsthand, like, and no offense to nurses or any doctors or anything like that, because I know you see it firsthand more so than I ever could. But what I saw firsthand wasn't, it wasn't something to be afraid of. And that, that's just
0: COVID. Yeah
1: yeah that covid was not something to be afraid
0: of my, my my stance has always been if you're afraid to get sick from covid okay well then try to stay home and but don't shut the world down because of it i mean I, I, look I, I i'm not the smartest dude around all right but there there's you know sars viruses and Uh, the bird flu and the pig flu and everything else that comes out. And I don't know the science behind COVID and how much worse it was than anything else. But in my lifetime, I don't remember the world ever being shut down for any kind of virus ever. So what makes this more different than any of the other experiences that we've had in the past? I don't know. Then my conspiracy theorist kicks in. and Is is this politically motivated somehow? And the election is this year? And how is this going to affect everything you know i don't know man it's uh it seemed really strange to me that how the government reacted to another virus you know what i mean and with that said do you see anything else are they talking about another shutdown or or covid uh 20 coming around the corner anything like that
1: 2.0 version that i've heard is just awful
2: well, we've got the Delta variant there, out there yes. now and I'm not a healthcare guy so I'm I'm not in the loop but we've got uh, here in Minnesota we've got 70% of people vaccinated the vaccine seemed to be working against the new variant so I'm optimistic.
0: 70% of Minnesota's vaccinated.
2: 70% of Minnesota adults are vaccinated.
0: Wow.
1: Now I'm seeing a lot of uh, questions on like LinkedIn and such about you know should employers require the vaccine. Is that like is that in the future? That I yeah well can I answer that yes that's (laughs) definitely overstepping in my opinion but um is that what we're looking at in the future
2: well that's that's some of the things that we have to wrestle with I tend to agree that that my health is is you know my personal obligation and my role I get where employers are coming from in that you know they may have someone with a pre-existing health condition Mm -hmm. that can't get vaccinated so we need the herd immunity protect that person. Maybe mm-hmm. they have they have cancer or they have HIV or they have, you know, something else that that compromises their immune system. This was, you know, in, in a lot of cases it's turned out to be a more contagious virus mm-hmm. than than some of the others that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think the jury's still out as as far as the death rate, but I talked to nurses that I know and the people that they saw in their wards, they saw the worst of the worst cases were, oh, for sure. were really bad. In fact, we lost uh, Senator Jerry Ralph. He was a former senator from St. Cloud, and I think it was heartbreaking. And it, it was heartbreaking for us. And I, I think it opened up uh, a little bit of our awareness, see. as you know, as to what he suffered through. Mm-hmm. So the worst cases were there. Now the question, and and I also serve on the board of uh, St. Gertrude's. You probably know St. Gertrude's from mm-hmm. Shakopee, but it's a long-term care and rehabilitation facility. And so we had to make sure that our residents who were elderly and, and had comorbidities were safe and we and we right. we really locked down that facility. And it was hard for a lot of our residents not being yes. able to see their families, but uh, that's what we had to, you know, they were the most at-risk uh, population they had. So I really saw it from both sides. Mm-hmm. But I think if we'd have focused on those most at risk, the yeah. elderly, and those people yes. with, yeah, um, with with other health immune compromising situations. Exactly. Yeah, I think we could have weathered this better than we did. Yeah, I agree.
1: Yes. Instead of a mass
0: hysteria. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, another topic I, wanna, I wanted to bring up: defund the police.
1: Uh oh, <laughs> we're going there,
0: <laughs> man. I don't know. I I, I think this is some crazy bullshit, to put it frank, right? I have never heard of things... I've heard of some stupid things, but this is one of the top. And I understand there's bad in every profession. I used to be a chiropractor. Of course, I was the best chiropractor, but there were some (laughs) bad chiropractors, right? Now I'm in insurance. I'm a really good insurance agent, but there's some bad ones out there. And I think police... Uh, no different. Law enforcement's no different. And the decision to be like, all right, well, let's defund the police. What's your thought on that? And what, how has that been going for them so far?
1: Let me throw in the word reallocate before everybody gets their underwear in a bunch, because <laughs> for some reason that has to be put on the table at the same time for people to be able to talk about it.
2: Well, you know, we all saw the video of George Floyd and mm. and. In a lot of ways, that was, exactly, that was really, that was really sad. And I think disappointing Mm -hmm. uh, to see. To say the least, yeah. But as you said, there, you know, there are bad apples and and 98, 99% of our police officers are really awesome. I think of the Shakopee, Prior Lake and Jordan Police Forces that I, that I interact with and they have great relationships within the community. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was at a Shakopee Diversity Alliance event where they touted how good their relationship was with the Shakopee Police Department. Hmm. And that's what we, you know, that's what we want to see, right? Right.
1: Yes. Especially just, community involvement, you know, where people are working together with the police force, you know, one on one on one.
0: They got a rough job, man. I mean, you pull somebody over for speeding. I mean, that that could be your last five minutes of your life. You don't know what's about to happen when they roll that window down, you know, and uh, it's a high stress environment for sure. And these guys aren't making a million dollars a year, you know they're doing it for the good. I feel like they the more majority of them are doing it not for the money. They want to make a difference, you know. It's a it's a public service type position. And so how's that going? This whole defund the the police
2: thing. Have you heard of any results or numbers or well, I think I you know, certainly I I support the police wholeheartedly. When I think of why we why people are moving to the suburbs. It comes down, it really comes down to two reasons. We have safe communities and good schools.
3: All right.
2: mm-hmm. And I, in fact, I was just in a conversation the other day talking about Minneapolis. And I think the mayor of Minneapolis has done a good job of standing behind his police chief. His city council hasn't supported him. And that becomes a real problem. And I'm hearing from business owners who are worried that they're going to make a call to 911 and not get a response they're buying you know gun sales are up yeah. because the cities where they are talking about defunding the police and removing resources one they can't hire new police officers they're as as we saw the the courts have recently told Minneapolis they have to go out and hire more because they're under their charter thresholds mm. people in in Scott County tell me all the time they don't want to go to a twins game or they don't want to go to to dinner downtown because they don't feel safe. I think the defund the police is I'll just be politically correct and say misguided. But you know, I was proud to have the support of police officers in the last election and I think that drove a lot of the results that we saw with the Senate staying in in a Republican majority and House Republicans gaining seats. You know, even when you talk to people in Minneapolis the residents of Minneapolis, for the most part, support the police officers. Oh, yeah. they
1: yes. They, yeah. they want the shooting to stop. Exactly. They want it to stop. Everybody wants the shooting to stop. Please stop the shooting. But how is it going to stop if there are fewer and fewer people to stop those bullets?
2: Well, in Minneapolis, in Minneapolis St. Paul and other communities, they have to figure that out. That's not, you know, we at the state, we have the state patrol and And in many cases, we've, Mm -hmm. you know, we've supplemented, the governor has used that force to help supplement uh, some of the activities. But it's really for these local communities. And I think uh, residents in these communities have to hold their elected officials accountable. You know, when I was on the school board, I was accountable for how well students were doing in the Prior Lake Savage School District. Mm -hmm. And if I wasn't doing a good job, the voters could vote me out. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's how voters have to look at defund the police is if they want their police force to be stronger, if they want a city council that's going to promote public safety, right? Mm-hmm.
0: And vote, vote a new council in.
2: Vote a new council in. Yeah. I hear you. Make
1: a stink. Make some noise.
2: Yeah. And business owners have a lot to do with that. I mean, business owners have a loud voice in this, uh, in this debate and, you know i've heard from you know re- more recently i've heard from business owners in in the uptown area that are struggling with the unrest that's going on yeah. uh and and blocking streets and, and and hurting their businesses in their area and good graffiti and the damage that's being done yeah you know many yeah. you know they've our local communities have to step up and say we are going to have a safe community
1: yeah bring uptown back
2: right i right. mean
1: just what was it was only what 2 years ago Where, I mean, my son and I would go to Uptown, we'd bike around the lake, we'd bike to grab some sushi, whatever. I wouldn't dare set foot in that area now. Sure as heck not after dark.
0: Yeah, it's it's an ugly situation. But uh, shifting gears a little bit, let's say uh, little Johnny, he's a junior in high school and uh, he dreams of one day getting into politics and becoming a state senator. What's your advice to little Johnny to make that happen? Don't do it. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wrong answer. He, he's dead set on doing it, man. Uh, w- w- should I go to college? What should I major in? What should I do after college? How do I? How do I become the next Eric Pratt?
2: The successful people in public service that I've seen bring some sort of experience with them. So what I tell kids when they when they say they're interested in politics, I tell them to find a career that interests them. Mm. It might be a career in law. It might be a career in finance. It might be a career in marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but find something. You really need that life experience to truly be effective here. You mentioned in in my role as chair of, of the Jobs and Economic Growth Committee, how it fits with my background in economics and I have yeah. my MBA from St. Thomas in, in finance. It all comes together, right? I use the mm-hmm. experience, not only the technical experience that I got from being in financial services, but the soft skills that I learned being in a corporate environment.
3: Mm -hmm. have helped
2: me be effective in the legislature. And so uh, the people who are less effective started off as activists or maybe just got directly into politics. The people who have been the most successful have a background either as a teacher or in law enforcement or as a realtor or small business owner Mm. or banker. So they Mm -hmm. bring
1: like a more holistic approach. Yeah. Okay.
2: And, And like I say, you know, A couple of us have worked in in Fortune 100 companies and we bring that experience about how to work in a complex organization. So what I always tell kids is find something else you want to do first.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: (laughs) And, you know, I I view my job truly as public service, right? It's not about me being a senator. It's about how can I serve and represent my community?
1: So what was your passion that fueled you into let's say, economics or, you know, on this path, <laughs> that your holistic path, if you
2: will? Well, I, you know, so I, I was working for uh, for some banks and financial uh, services, and I had kids. Ah. And my son was about a year out of, of kindergarten, and uh, I was reading the, the uh, local paper, and they were talking about how the school district test scores were fairly stagnant, uh, the district was a million dollars in debt, and I remember looking at my wife and I said, "Well, I grew up here.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think I can help." Hmm. So, well, I, mom's a teacher. Mom's a teacher. <laughs> so, so I ran for the school board and I won, hmm. and and so I, you know, and and what was great about it was not only did I bring my experience from the corporate world,
0: yeah, but
2: I gained some experience working in the public sector that I was able to take mm-hmm. back to my role. In the, corporate in, the, world. in the corporate world, too. And so while I was on the school board, we took that million-dollar deficit. We turned it into a $3 million surplus. We cut property taxes. Wow. We saw test scores rise.
1: Shakopee could have taken a lesson from Prior Lake,
2: <laughs> but that's a whole nother subject. And, you know, and Shakopee's <laughs> taken that in a different direction. And they've got some really great, pro- I mean, they had an unfortunate incident with a superintendent who yes. embezzled some money. Yeah, But quite honestly, they've got some really innovative programs going on.
1: They really do.
2: Uh, connecting kids with careers. I mean, you know, what you have to do is you have to make, you know, it's not just about sitting kids down and, and teaching them to learn. You have to be able to connect them to make they, they need that connection to yeah. a long-term... They need their um, why. The they need why their behind why. It. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, yes. and so, you know, after after getting a surplus, after cutting taxes, after seeing test scores go up, the person that held this position before me uh, was leaving a school board meeting where they were giving a legislative update. And she said, you know, you might be a really good replacement for me someday. Hmm. I said, nah, I'm not interested in that. And she retired and pretty soon I got some phone calls and I said, well... Yeah, I'm kind of ready to leave the school board. I'm looking for my next opportunity in public service. And and uh, so I so I jumped into it. And I led with education and and economic development. Uh, I chaired the Education Policy Committee in the Senate for two years. I served as the minority lead uh, when I was in the, you know, during my first term. And so hmm. um, we pushed forward some changes in teacher licensure and, and, uh, um, really worked in a bipartisan fashion to move some, you know, some stuff forward because I wanted to really focus on the needs of students. Mm
3: -hmm. And so,
2: you know, it's, it's for me, it's not the, it's not the title of the role. It's the, you know, it's, it's what can I do to make this state better? And and, and so I look at it as a, as a public service opportunity, just like I would a school board or city councilman or CDA or uh, EDA or parks board or anything, you know, any of those other, Local opportunities that, that come for you to be a leader in your community.
0: Interesting. So it all started off because you had kids, their local school could be doing better. So you thought, well, I, I, I think I could help them. Yeah. Got elected to the school board, made things happen, then wanted to level up, stay in some type of public service position. And here you are. And here I am. What's the next thing? US Senator? <laughs> I was going to ask the same thing. Yeah, is yeah, yeah. it? I we see going a trend to U.S. Here. next? We went to the school board, to the state senate, and any plans?
2: I don't, I don't know yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm still, uh, I'm still looking. You know, I always, I, you know, I'm always happy in the, in the role that I'm in. Okay. And, you know, I never leave anything because I'm on. You know, if, if I was unhappy, I'd, I'd walk Find away. Find something else. Yeah. But uh, I enjoy what I do. You know, it's kind of fun. I was just, I'm a part of the Prior Lake Rotary Club, and we just held uh, the Lakefront Music Festival. Oh yeah. And we raise money for the Rotary Foundation. We contribute to local causes. And, and we also have a, a worldwide effort called Polio Plus to eradicate polio worldwide. Wow. There are still some uh, areas of the, of the world where polio is a problem. Wow! Uh, but we also help about 20, 25 other local organizations. Okay. Well, you know, the Optimist Club, the school district. And so it, it truly becomes a community event. Yeah. And we had probably, I, th- I think the official count was 17,000 people on Friday night. Yeah, I've been to those a couple 16, of times. just under 16,000 people. <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah. Popular.
2: Yeah. Well, you yeah. guys
1: pulled some really good acts in.
2: We did. We had uh, Sticks, Cheap Trick, and 38 Special. And uh-huh. then um, we had Noah Guthrie, uh Jake Owen. Jake and Cohen. we were supposed to have Lady A, but unfortunately, one of Lady A's band members uh, had a medical emergency and they wow. had to cancel last, last minute. Jake Owen stepped up and did a 90-minute set.
0: Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah. yeah, He's great. Yeah. I recognize that name.
2: So, actually, I forgot the question. I started going off on the grocery store.
0: Yeah, I think you're talking about how you're going to run for U.S. Senate. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: Well, you have two votes here. Well,
0: thanks. <laughs> you know, we're running up to an hour, and uh, I want to make sure you're able to say what you wanted to say when Melanie contacted you and said, let's be on the Minnesota Made podcast. Uh, is there anything that you want to bring up to the listeners before we uh, find our way out of here?
2: You know, so for those of you that don't know, I, I uh, connected with Melody on LinkedIn, and i i got a I, I got a, a message from her, and it and it seemed like a fairly generic message. But as I looked at it, and I clicked on the link to look at some of the old broadcasts, I said, "You know, I'm a state senator. This is my role in the Senate. Might be interesting to your listeners." And she got a, a hold of me right away. What I want to do is, I want to make state government accessible. I want to make state government accessible to Minnesota families, Minnesota businesses, to let them know that, you know, you can call your state rep. You can call your state senator. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's the, not just an old adage of the past, you know, write, write your state representative if you have an issue. Truly contact your senator or representative.
2: Absolutely. we You know, we read the emails. Now, some of the, and here's what I'll say. If you write me an email that's not one of the form letters, mm-hmm. you'll get a response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and and a lot of times the response is directly from me. Okay, you know that's that's uh, what I
1: was impressed with. Just so you know, I was like, wow. Okay.
2: And we're at community events, so come up and talk to us at community events, and let us know what's on your mind. You know, yeah. that's that's how we do our job better. I'm yeah. not smart enough to come up with all these ideas by myself. I get, you know, I get a lot of ideas coming from uh, from people in the community. I had uh, uh, one gentleman from Prior Lake and uh he was he had an old vehicle that he wanted to give to a relative upon his death, mm-hmm. but he could other states had this transfer on death opportunity. You could put it on your title. Mm-hmm. Minnesota didn't have that, so it had to go through probate oh, and so I you know we were able to work in a bipartisan fashion and and you can now do watercraft and a motor vehicle, we can put that on the title that it transfers to to somebody upon no your death probate. with no probate. A simple issue I didn't know was a problem, but well, good. You know, How cool. our gentleman you did. Handled
1: so. it. You know, I keep hearing you say in a bipartisan fashion, I think that, you know, in an age of so much separatism going on, it's so refreshing to hear that problems can be solved with both parties to find a mutual agreement.
2: And there are some that don't like that. They want me to draw a line in the sand. But right. um, maybe it's my business career, right? In order to get something done, I have to, you know, I have to have a democratic senator or governor sign off on the bill. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the fact, right? right. <laughs> so, and you know, I'm I'm not the type of person who comes here just to keep the sea warm. I want to get things done. I want to move the state forward. I want to, I want to see accomplishments. Yeah. And so whether it's you know, I, I passed real ID so that you could continue to fly with your driver's license. I, uh-huh. you know, I passed teacher licensure reform. We just passed two loan and, and three grant programs uh-huh. to help small business. None of that would have been done if I'd have been staunchly, this is the way we're going to do it, draw a line in the sand and you have to do it my way or the highway. Uh-huh. And who would suffer? It would be our constituents, oh, wow. it would be the people, it would be the small business owners that we're suffering under the business restrictions that were implemented during the COVID period. So I'd rather get things done. Yeah, me too. Reminds
1: me of the willow tree, strong enough to bend.
0: (laughs) Yeah, whatever that is. (laughs) I've never heard that saying. No? No.
1: (laughs) Gotta read more.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right. So one of the things you you just mentioned is that you want government to be more accessible to the public, correct? Mm -hmm. So if one of the listeners wants to get a hold of you, what what kind of information would you want to put out there? What's the best way to get a hold of you?
2: Sure. Well, my email address is uh, SEN, so short for Senator, sen.eric.pratt at senate.mn. Okay. And my phone number is 651-296-4123. All right. Well, there you got it, guys.
0: Senator Eric Pratt. Eric, I feel like we're in good hands, and uh, you're doing an awesome job, man. And I really sincerely appreciate you being on the podcast with us today thank you
2: yes. it's my it's thank my you. honor thank you guys
0: thanks eric that's it guys if you know of a minnesota business leader or a mover and shaker that you feel would be a great guest please have them go to minnesota made and have them apply for the show thanks for listening minnesota